Thank you for joining me, Daniel Robus, on the Tech Central podcast, sponsored today by SUSE. And we are joined by the Chief Technical Officer of Enterprise Products at SUSE, Rob Knight, a nicer gentleman you'll go a long way to find. Rob has been trying and failing to educate me on all things technical over the last couple of months, and he's going to give it one more good old try. And today we're going to talk around the hype behind Kubernetes. And for all of our listeners out there, we're hoping that you get to a better understanding of Kubernetes and where the business cases are, because Kubernetes and microservices seems to be in every second discussion as we go around, especially in people that have got a hybrid rollout, a hybrid strategy that's going forward. We're going to address a couple of questions such as what is the hype? What are the security risks? Why is there such a noise being made about Kubernetes at the moment? So there's such a noise being made because it's such a fundamentally transformative technology. It gives teams and businesses the ability to run workloads anywhere. So whether that's in the data center, in the cloud, or out to the edge as well. But the way that it approaches computing is very vendor agnostic. So it improves the ability to be open and have vendor portability. But in addition to that, it almost takes, you know, the ideal way of dealing with applications and as we call them now, microservices, and it embraces all of the best practices that we've learned over the last 20 or 30 years of software engineering and makes it easy for teams to then consume those best practices. So what does that practically mean for a CTO who's considering their ERP rollout and merging with a customer experience program? So what it means is that they need to reevaluate their technology decisions that they've made in the past. They need to look at this technology and see, is this going to be a right fit for my business? Are we working on some new projects or have some existing code and apps that we perhaps could migrate onto these new Kubernetes-powered platforms? And I think it's something that has to be assessed on a case-by-case basis. It's not something where we just throw Kubernetes into a project just because it's, you know, the current hype and buzzword. Okay. And who makes the decisions on whether we should be using these microservices? Where is it in the food chain from a development perspective? Who decides when and where it comes into play? So there's a couple of angles that we see when talking to our customers at SUSE. What we find is a lot of these technologies are often embraced by individual teams, perhaps a DevOps team and sometimes even an individual developer. And they often then bubble up that knowledge or bubble up the requirement that they have for this technology to their management. But I think what needs to happen really is companies need to have a top-down strategy to say, you know, we're going to go cloud native. We're going to embrace these technologies and set the strategy on how they're going to do it. And I think we're starting to see that shift now as it's become a lot more mainstream where technology leaders are now making those decisions. Okay. You spoke about cloud native. Now, very few companies are born in the cloud and have cloud native infrastructure end to end. What does that mean for us who have got legacy apps on the ground? Are we barred from playing in this environment? Absolutely not. Being cloud native, even if a company 
wasn't born in the cloud, as you say. There's still a lot of benefits that companies can get from the cloud. There are many pathways to migrate legacy workloads into the cloud, often without making any code changes. And then companies can start getting the benefits of paying for resources on demand, the high availability that the cloud can bring us, and also the hybrid cloud abilities that a lot of companies are now seeking. So we don't have to cut anyone out of the party. We can optimize our use between them. So if we've got workloads on-prem, say a manufacturing environment, and then we've got invoice processing running with an outsourced partner, and we've got new applications that we'd like to, like CX, are running in the cloud, we can work these and link these together using Kubernetes? Absolutely. What we'll tend to find is that you run Kubernetes on your on-premise data center and you can run those workloads there, but you're also running that same Kubernetes platform in the cloud as well. So it makes migrating those workloads easy, but also connecting them easy. And for your ops teams, it's the same platform running in both. And this is really an area where at SUSE, you know, we've got a really strong footprint there because with our Kubernetes management platform, Rancher, it doesn't care where you deploy your workloads. It can manage Kubernetes clusters in the cloud or on-premise. It can manage the cloud provider's native Kubernetes implementation as well in the cloud. As long as that Kubernetes distribution used is a certified CNCF distribution, we can manage it. And we're seeing that power a lot of our customers' hybrid cloud workloads. So you're giving one pane of glass for people to look at this plethora of services out there almost in a library view. Okay, I need to see it because all I'm seeing is complexity and this cloud sprawl, which is a reality today, now just being on a smaller scale and even more. Does it not increase the footprint of security concerns from a CIO perspective? So the way that we approach security in a cloud native and Kubernetes environment is quite different from how we approached it in the past. And this is where principles such as DevSecOps come into play. We need to bring security much further left in the development cycle. Traditionally, security was often a gate towards the right. You know, you'd make an application release and at the end of the testing, just before release, the security team would do their audit. Whereas if we bring that security much further to the left, when the developers are actually developing the code and then embracing good security practices, Overall, it can increase our security trustworthiness. But there's also a lot of tools out there now to help manage security in these cloud-native environments. And for example, with our distributions on Rancher, we have built-in syscanning to ensure that your clusters are compliant to industry best practice. Okay. Uh, tell me, we've spoken about delivery now and bringing, making changes to the traditional SDLC. Do you recommend that organizations, if they are taking on Kubernetes, look at their deployment methods and development cycles? What do you recommend that we embrace to modernize from that perspective? So I would say you definitely not just have to look at those cycles and those workflows, but you're going to have to change them. Now, in the past, if we take, for example, SAP, if a customer brought SAP into an environment, they would have to change how they did all of their financial processes and accounting Mm. in order to fit SAP. You wouldn't change Mm. the SAP software to match your environment. And the Mm. same is true of Kubernetes and cloud-native methodologies. You need to adapt how you work to fit into these best practices and how these platforms actually work. 
And although, yes, that is an upfront learning curve for teams and a bit of an upfront investment from the organization, the mm. potential benefits and payoffs are huge with that. For example, if we take one of our SUSE customers, ABSA, the South African Bank, mm. they were able to reduce manual operational intervention by up to 80%. And that's turns into a huge cost saving at the end of mm. the day. So it's that mm. upfront investment for potential big cost savings mm. further down the line. So who talks to customers about this journey? What type of consultant are we talking about that can effectively embrace Kubernetes? What does your Kubernetes type of person look like? So there's no real one type of Kubernetes person because Kubernetes can touch many different people within an organization from the developer to the ops teams and even the network and security teams have to get involved in these projects. But that's why we have consultants at SUSE and a number of trusted partners that can help guide customers on that journey as they embrace cloud native and Kubernetes. So it's not a closed cult that's only entrance. You've got to pay in blood before you get in there. It's the usual SUSE open source weekend. Is there enough learning material out there? I know my timeline's full of it, but is there practical ways that we can upskill a bigger team to get momentum? Absolutely. There's lots of ways that this can be done. For example, for free, if you go to rancher.com slash training, we have the introductory Rancher Academy, which can take your developers from how they work today, teach them the basics about containers and the basics about Kubernetes and help start them, you know, talking in the language of containers and Kubernetes, which is really important. And the Cloud Native Computing Foundation also has training and certification in that area. And we at SUSE, on top of the free training that we have available, we have the Rancher Academy where there's paid for certifications. Okay, that sounds brilliant. And that will be on the website. I'll put that on the report back from this podcast. If you were starting out a company now, you are advising at a company, where would you begin with containerization? What's a good project that you could dip your toe in without diving in fully? So I would say if you've got perhaps a new project that's coming on board, that's one where perhaps you would want to look at involving containers and, you know, using containers and Kubernetes with that project because you've got a completely greenfield environment. Now, some of our customers, they also choose to modernize an existing legacy application. And there's different ways that that can be done. For some people, it's a case of rewriting the entire app from scratch to do the same function. But sometimes you can take that legacy app, then wrap it in a container with minimal code changes, and then run that on top of Kubernetes. So almost a lift and shift approach. But if you've got a small project, I always say start small, you know, to get your feet wet. That's probably the best way I would say to do it because it gives your teams a chance to learn, to get experience and to fail fast on something that's you know, not necessarily as important or mission critical. Okay. You spoke about ABSA earlier, 80% improvement on going through. For me, that's like talking about a castle. It's a far away thing. I'm not going to go into the back end of ABSA and ask them to see it. They probably won't show me. Have we got any real life cases that I would have come into contact with in my everyday life of where containerization is used? There's so many out there. And often as you know, members of the public, we come across it without even realizing. Now, to give a good example of that, if you take a flight, I know that's quite oh, challenging. In the olden the days. 
<laughs> in the olden yeah. days, yeah, pre-pandemic, when you took a flight and you've got the in-flight entertainment system, major airlines are now replacing those systems with Kubernetes-powered platforms because it enables them to keep that uptime and also that portability and openness aspect. So when you're touching that screen, you're yeah. touching an embedded version of Linux that's talking to a container-powered backend, and I think that's really cool. Wow. Okay. That is pretty cool. And in our preparation, we were talking about a fast food outlet. You got to do it for me. Tell us about the fast food outlet. So it's called Chick-fil-A, which is a, a, an American fast food outlet. And they're using Rancher open source technology in all of their fast food outlets. And something that's quite cool with what they're doing, they're using artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms to predict the demand that they're going to face. Now, obviously, this is America. Fast food is in huge demand out there. Yeah. They can't use traditional algorithms for that because they need minute-by-minute real-time updates. And as that demand and wow. flux changes, they're able to give that input into the kitchen so they can say, right, cook those six chicken nuggets. And although that may seem a bit out there and, you know, why are they doing that? Well, they're doing that so that they can shave 10 seconds off the customer waiting in the drive through because if they shave those 10 seconds off for every customer, that equates to millions of dollars of increased sales over the course of the year. That's a really nice reference, even though the name, I just, it tickles me pink when I hear that. Yeah. Uh, we've got a few here in South Africa that also could get into that. I'm not going to mention them now. I've got notes on a dummies guide for Kubernetes, and I know you shared something with myself before this session. I'm going to share that with our listeners so that they can download it. When you meet a customer, where would you say you should start investing in Kubernetes and containers, almost a one, two, and three kind of way. Do we need to educate our team first? Would you engage with a partner? Should they speak to SUSE? What would you say is a good breadcrumb to get into this? So I would say they should start investing yesterday, but it's okay. I get, I get it, you know, and it depends on where you are in your journey. If you've not had any experience of containers and Kubernetes at all, then reaching out to SUSE would be you know, a really great first step because we can use our network of local partners and connect you with them to help you know, guide you through that process. Yeah. And you're absolutely right, Dan. One of the first steps they need to do is to start educating their developers and training their yeah. operations team on how all of this stuff works. And our trusted partners can help guide them in that. Awesome. Now, SUSE seems to be doing really, really well in the market. We know you're doing quite well here, and we know that you're doing quite well globally. Are there rumors regarding an IPO? Uh, is there anything behind that? Well, while I can't comment on rumors, Dan, what I can say is that we've had a really exciting time at SUSE over the last couple of years. And as a result, we've got a range of financing options that are open to us. Now, we've taken some initial steps to see if we can start executing on those financial options, but no decision has yet been taken. And what I can also share is it's going to be a really exciting time in the coming months and years for SUSE and all of our customers. That's That sounds pretty good. The cynic in me says, oh gosh, we're going to have to start paying for it and it's no longer going to be open source. No. Do you think they're going to go back on what you've built over 20 years? 
No, so open source, it's in our DNA, Dan. Everything okay. we've done for over 28 years is open source. And the same is true for Rancher as well. Everything they've done is open source. I can comfortably say we're never going to go down that path. It would be an assault to all of our customers and partners if we did so. And like I say, it's in our DNA and that's not going to yeah. change. I know a couple of people who have got tattoos about open source. So that would be... <laughs> <laughs> I have How a chameleon tattooed on my leg. Yeah, you see now. So um, we are holding thumbs and I'm going to be watching that one really closely because it will be a big shift in our environment. And I think there are a lot of shifts that are coming in our environment, which mean that people need to have a look at what they've deployed in their infrastructure. Why trust open source? So I say why trust open source? Because there are millions of contributors to open source. Some of the largest companies in the world have got an open source strategy and are going all in on open source. And a lot of these customers are in regulated environments as well. So if the world's largest bank can go all in on open source, I think it's safe to say that almost any company can. And the same is true for governments as well. We're seeing open source adoption within governments across the world start to rise because of the benefit that is there. I think when we talk about open source and what the key benefits are for customers, one of the key things is trust. They can look at the code or they can get an external auditor to look at the code. With a proprietary vendor, you just can't do that. And another benefit of open source is you can get started with it right away. You can start tinkering with it and playing with it right away. Whereas mm. with proprietary, you have a long sales cycle that you're going to have to go through before you can even start getting value out of that. And I think mm. one of the sometimes overlooked aspects of open source is the community. The community of the projects that you're investing in and deploying can often be larger than your individual development team alone. So you've mm. got hundreds of people looking at this code. You can go in and see how all of the decisions were made. And I think that's really important when it comes to mm. building trust with our customers and open source. Mm. You make a compelling argument. You know, I come from an applications background. So the long sales cycle, I'm used to it. If we want to get rapid adoption, I think we've got to open it and let people play. Yeah. You were talking around governments and one of the good plays from a containerization could be local municipalities, specifically in our environment, and getting access to it and upskilling our partners. So to any partners who are listening, the knowledge is there, it's available and it's free the Dummies Guide to Kubernetes is out there, but more the Rancher Academy. And that Rancher Academy, there's on-demand learning and there's paid-for learning that we can get into as well. Exactly. The type of people that would go in there? It's so, not me. It's developers, eh? I know. It's, it's for developers and it's for operations teams as well. And like I okay. said, the first couple of basic levels are completely free on-demand training, which I think is yeah. really cool. But I just want to go back quickly to your point around local government and municipalities. We've seen that in the real world. For example, in Norway, there's a specific municipality called Bergen Commune. And what they did is they invested in Kubernetes and containers because they wanted to be able to share common resources with all of the other local municipalities in the area. So they were able to work on some base images and make them available publicly in their marketplace. 
and so that those other municipalities didn't have to invest and spend the same money to create those same resources because it's running on kubernetes even though they both had two different vendors of kubernetes platforms they were just able to take that container and run it and that's something which was never possible before Yeah, you make it sound so simple and so logical. Why wouldn't you want to do it? But at the moment, I'm just seeing people throw technology at solutions and the smaller the devices become and the more linked they become on the edge, there are now tens of thousands of devices out there of data points. How do we actually harness them so we don't get more of the sprawl happening within organizations? Yeah, so I think there was a couple of points raised in that. And although, yes, I make it sound simple, and that's because I love this technology so much, but I'm not going to lie, there is an initial learning curve. You know, it's a completely new way of doing things. And that's why having a trusted partner such as SUSE to help guide you through that process, through our local partners, is so important. And why it's so important to have those free on-demand training resources. But when it comes to, like you say, cloud sprawl and almost edge sprawl, the key thing is management. And that's our bread and butter with Sousa Rancher technology, Kubernetes management. What we're able to do is provide a single plane of glass for all of your clusters and all of your workloads that run on top of them. And using our latest GitOps technology, which is called Fleet, you can centrally manage all of the apps deployed on up to a million clusters, so potentially a million sites. Now, I know a lot of our customers, they're never going to need that kind of scale. Yeah. But the ability to do it is there, whether you're large or small. And that's how you can keep track of those devices and how you can connect everything together and make it really easy for your ops team to remain in control. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Over the next six months, we've spoken about the potential IPO rumors that are going on there. What are you most excited about from a release from your organization? What are you looking forward to most? So over the next few months, we've got some really exciting projects coming out in May. And these are our open source projects, you know, our playground projects, so to speak. Mm. And we've got some of those launching in the area of developer experience and platform as a service. It's already out there on GitHub today. It's called Carrier. And that enables teams and developers to push apps to Kubernetes really easily without having to write all of the YAML that they used to have to before. Additionally, we've got the Rancher 2.6 platform launching, and that brings with it a number of enhancements. It brings us parity with the Azure platform for what we currently have with AWS today. Now, what I mean okay. by that is lifecycle management, whereas on Azure currently, if you were building an AKS cluster, you would have to upgrade it and manage the lifecycle through the Azure portal. What you're now able to do with Rancher 2.6 is do that using Rancher. And I think that's really cool. Awesome. If you had one piece of advice for customers for the next six months, what would you suggest? I would say, look at this technology. Even if you think it's never going to apply to you, have a look, have someone in your IT team investigate it just to see. Because what we find is there's almost always a way to integrate containers, Kubernetes and cloud native methodology. If you're producing an app, you could potentially be taking advantage of this. And my other piece of advice would be, don't be afraid. This is a big, huge 
world, right? And we hear Kubernetes thrown around everywhere. One of the things I often hear from customers is, oh, is it just the latest buzzword? You know, what's next after Kubernetes? Why should I invest in Kubernetes when something's coming down the line later? And my opinion on that is some technologies in the open source community are so pivotal and so transformative that they stick around for a long time. And I would say Kubernetes is the new Linux in that regard. So where we had Linux appear in the 80s and developed in the 90s, Kubernetes is at that point now, and it's going to be here for a long, long time. Nothing's going to replace it, but things will just be building on top of it to make it better all the time. So Rob, explain to me that I can understand in English, in simple English, what is Kubernetes? So before I start talking about Kubernetes, I think it's best to talk about the container because this is how Kubernetes was born. And a container is really a way to package an application. It's a standardized image format that allows a developer to put the app plus all of its dependencies, such as Java runtime environment, inside one image. And then you can run that image pretty much anywhere you want. And containers really started the DevOps movement. It helped propel it to where it is today because it enabled people to develop a lot easier and manage dependencies a lot easier as well. But the problem with containers is when you're deploying and running them, there wasn't really a way to manage them or to orchestrate them at scale. And this is where Kubernetes came in. Obviously, it came from Google. They were using an earlier version of Kubernetes called Borg for a long time. They'd already invested in containers. So when they released it to the open source community in 2014, people thought this is you know, a good tool to orchestrate containers. When I say orchestrate containers, I mean ensuring that the right container is running in the right place at the right time. Okay. But in addition to that, it's also about providing all of the other infrastructure pieces that a container needs to run successfully. For example, service discovery, a container being able to talk to another container needs to be able to find that container to talk to it. It also provides us with networking capabilities over a software defined network, which is really important. Along with that, there's security capabilities as well. We've also got authentication and role-based access control. So it's a lot more than just running a container. It provides a huge number of APIs that developers can consume in order to ensure that their container is running most optimally. Okay. That's really awesome because I've never had it explained to me like that. And I really like that. It's the usual, Sousa, simple to understand, um, simple to deploy and consume. Yeah, and um, that's, that's our bread and butter, really. You know, right from the early days of dealing with Linux, that's what Sousa does. It takes things... It makes them simple and easy to use. And Rancher is exactly the same, but for Kubernetes. So the people that are working in enterprise applications, should they be excited about this move or nervous about this move? I personally think that they should be excited, but I do understand that any kind of change can sometimes make people nervous. So what I would say to those who are a bit nervous is that these technologies allow you to create applications quicker. They allow you to run through a continuous integration and continuous delivery cycle a lot easier. It actually puts you in a position where you have a lot more control over how and where your application runs. Because what we're doing 
is taking a lot of the tasks that ops teams would traditionally do and almost outsourcing them to yourself. Because when you deploy your application to Kubernetes, you have to define all of those pieces that it needs that I talked about earlier, such as service discovery, logging, and monitoring. Before that was done by the ops teams, but now it's in your hands to describe all of those tasks and let Kubernetes take care of it. So that immediately increases your value to the organization, especially when it's done right. Awesome. Give me a headline slide for a Kubernetes introduction to an organization. Three lines. The first one is Kubernetes is here to stay. You know, it's, okay. it's not going anywhere. The second one is don't be afraid to embrace it. You know, it's such a transformative technology that there's a huge amount of benefit to all teams within a company. And I think the third one would be embrace open. If your teams aren't currently doing any open source today, then rethink that. Even if you work for one of the most closed source companies in the world, there's still ways for you to adopt and embrace open source technologies. You can use some of the open source libraries as dependencies within your app, for example. And I know sometimes people get concerned around licensing and open source licensing, but we're always a phone call away to help you with those kinds of queries. Awesome. Thank you very much, Rob Knight. It's been a pleasure and an honor to have you again. And I've really learned a lot in this session. I still don't think I'll deploy Kubernetes because I can't even deploy my phone. But the teams I'm working with are, I'm sure, going to be embracing it. Kubernetes is here to stay. Don't be afraid to embrace it and embrace open source. You like the embracing. So let's hug out there. It's a community. On behalf of Tech Central and Sousa, we'd like to thank you for your participation in our podcast. And to all our listeners out there, if you do have any questions, please pop them down. Rob is very approachable and will get a good team to answer them or answer them himself. From me, Daniel Robus and the Tech Central team, thank you so much. Have a brilliant day and stay dry. Music